Hello and welcome to the Beyond Your Research Degree podcast by the University of Exeter Doctoral College. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Beyond Your Research Degree. I'm Kelly Priest and today I'll be talking to Dr Celia Butler, who is currently Senior Applications Engineer at Synopsys, having graduated with her PhD in Physics in 2012. Celia, are you happy to introduce yourself? Hey, hello, my name's Celia Butler um, and I did my PhD in Microwave Metamaterials in the Electromagnetic Materials Group at the University of Exeter, um, which is part of the physics department, or it was at the time. Um, Now I work for Synopsys. I'm a senior applications engineer with the Simpleware support team. Um, And what I do is I provide support for um, a software package that allows you to take 3D image data, like scans from MRI or CT um, and turn it into a computer model. And you can do all sorts of things um, with that computer model from 3D printing to um, finite element analysis, um, all the way through to just uh, simple visualizations to learn something about that data that you're inspecting. Amazing. So can you tell me a little bit about the transition from doing your research degree into the current role, did you have any, um, were there any jobs that you took in between? Or was it a straight move? Yes, so when I left my uh, PhD, I actually went into a job uh, which sort of spanned the gap between academia and industry. So um, officially it was a postdoc role, but I was actually more of a research and development engineer um, with a pre-spin-out company so it was still part of the university and it took on a role um, where kind of like a technical consultancy so like an R&D consultancy role. Um, My specific area was to look at um, improving uh, radio frequency identification tagging so RFID tagging. It's now quite popular you see it all over the place in um, tags in clothes shops, RFID tags are embedded into shoes when you buy them, all sorts of things. Um, But the specific area that I was looking at was how to tag structures that have a lot of metal in them, because essentially they're an antenna and when you place them on metal, they don't work very well. Um, And I was looking at tagging RFID circuit boards. Um, So uh, these circuit boards have very high value um, and you really try to understand uh, what you can do. So I work with um, a few different people um, locally to try and uh, address this problem using some of the knowledge from my PhD, but also past experience from before that as well. Um, After that role, uh, I left and started a new position for a company called Sub10 Systems. Now, this was a very small startup company possibly the best and most exciting research I have ever done. It was um, looking to create wireless ethernet bridges. What that means is um, point to point, a transmission of data at very, very high frequencies. So in the millimeter wave region. Um, And this was so exciting because I was quite new uh, to the R&D world and I was given a lot of responsibility but also worked in an amazing team Um, and we just got things done. It was fantastic. 
Um, but unfortunately, like a lot of startups, um, it didn't make it and I had to make the decision to leave. Um, possibly the hardest decision of my life. Um, but yeah, so I left uh, Sub10 Systems and that fantastic team. Um, and then I found a job in the center of Exeter working for, at the time, Simpleware. Um, which were, again, a small company, not really a startup, um, but about 30, 40 people. And from there, um, this company was bought out by Synopsys. Um, but my job role has stayed pretty consistent most of the way through. Um, and I actually, I'm able to use a lot of my experience uh, from my career but also interests outside of work um to to perform my job which is it's just so varied and um keeps me on my toes most of the time that sounds amazing and and in a short space of time you've worked in quite a lot of different different organizations so what was it like making that transition from your phd into a a non-academic role did did you always know you wanted a, a job outside of academia and, in, and doing research in industry or so I think when I did my PhD I really enjoyed my time doing the research element um, before I did my PhD I worked in industry for a few years so I was very aware of what it was like to work in a team doing commercial R&D as opposed to quite academic research. Um, and it is very different. Um, and I preferred the industrial research, the uh, kind of wor working towards one product or one specific goal, um, but also having the flexibility to um, change projects or move into different roles within the same organization whereas in the PhD you're very focused on your path your route to completing whatever your project might be um, I didn't find the transition very hard moving from academic research to uh, sort of industrial R&D um, I think because it's something that I knew um, and I was comfortable with I was looking forward to moving back um, I also had very good kind of uh, time management skills during the PhD. I viewed it more as a day-to-day -day job because of my past experience. There is one exception for that, which was when I was writing up. Uh, when I wrote up, the time really went out the window. I was just working all the time, it seems. Um, but after that I was really able to relax into that role um, to work with lots and lots of different people um, and to really focus on a product which is what we were aiming for so yeah that worked really well for me. So yeah can you say a little bit more about what it what it is about doing R&D work in industry that you prefer to academia is it that kind of is it something to do with the pace is it the pace of it or is it the kind of clearer sense of product and impact? So I think um, industrial R&D has a clear focus, a clear aim, um, but people work slightly differently in, in my experience in commercial R&D compared to academic R&D uh, or academic research. Um, 
in academic research, you are striving to understand every single little part of whatever your uh, problem or area might be. Um, in commercial R&D, although you need to understand what's going on, there's a limit to how much depth you need to go into. You need to be able to solve the problem, but you are working towards a different goal. Um, and that goal will come to an end and it will change. Um, there will be uh, a second level, another stage or something that you are building on. You need to understand this area, make a decision, produce a product, whatever that might be, and then you move on. Um, it's also quite normal to have multiple projects going on at the same time. And for me, I need that um, that ability to be able to switch between projects to keep me fully um, invested and um, sort of just enjoying what I do. I need lots of little things to dip in and out of just to keep me entertained, I guess. <laughs> yes, I absolutely know that feeling. <laughs> so you said about the time management skills that you developed during your PhD and how important they are to what you do now. And certainly if you're working on lots of different projects, I can really see that. Um, what other skills and experiences have you taken from your PhD that have really helped you with an R&D role in industry? I think the biggest thing that I learnt during the PhD, um, as opposed to other roles that I've been in before, was to be able to take a big project and be able to divide it up into small chunks that seem more manageable. Because I think when you start the PhD, it can be a little bit overwhelming because you've got this three, four years plus, um, and you've got to produce something at the end of it, but you're not really sure what that is. So to be able to take that huge idea, chop it up, and then manage yourself to be able to, to achieve whatever that might be, um, is really important. Um, and then the other thing, the, the sort of skills that I learned. Um, I did a course on how to read, it sounds ridiculous, but how to speed read, how to take um, academic papers and top and tail. And that's been really useful in other projects that I've done. Um, because in industrial research, you haven't got loads of time to do a full literature review on most projects. You need to extract the information that you need, put it together, and then use it in whatever form that might be. Um, the other thing that I think was really important is how to present robustly. So um, I, I've never really had a problem with the actual presenting side of things, um, but the questioning was something that was sort of really um, drilled into me during my PhD, that you need to know your subject well enough, you need to have done your research to be able to answer questions robustly um, and kind of stand up to someone standing up and saying, oh, I'm not, I'm not sure about this, tell me more, or I don't believe that, what's your evidence for it? Um, and to be able to stand there and, and defend uh, the research that you've done and to present a reasoned argument. And I think that was probably the, the biggest thing to take away. Yeah, so really it's, so it's project management, it's um, ability to read and synthesize information and presenting yes it's those so, kind of soft 
softer yeah. skills. Um, I mean, obviously, I, I learned a lot of physics in my actual PhD, um, but I wouldn't say that I've applied much of that in my other roles. It's more being those kind of softer skills um, that have been the most useful. Yeah, and I think that's that's always what's really interesting about looking at careers beyond academia because I think we get really entrenched in this idea that I I need to be looking at something that's very specific to the very um, niche topic area I've been working in whereas actually when people are going to work in industry that it they're more using perhaps they're working in their general subject area in some shape or form but it's those soft skills that become even more important because they're the ones that are transferable Absolutely. And I can give you an example of that. So um, one of the um, the first things that I did when I joined uh, Simpleware, as it was then now Synopsys, um, was I had a, a web meeting with someone who was using the software um, and they were doing knee replacement. Um, now, my PhD is in microwave metamaterials, um, looking at uh, electromagnetic um sort of interaction with materials um it has nothing to do with knees so very quickly I had to understand the different parts of the knee what the bones are called some of the key muscles or tendons I had to understand how you perform a knee replacement um so that I was roughly on the same level so that we could talk in similar terms because there are terms that are specific to different industries. Um, So I had to come up to speed very fast on all of that and then understand how this uh, particular customer wanted to use the software um, and what, what the challenges were that they were facing. And then I had to take all of that, present it back to them in a web meeting in under an hour. So very quickly, you're having to take uh, a problem, understand it, do your research, um, uh, kind of problem solve along the way, and then present it back and answer questions all in one sort of, I I think that would take about maybe uh, between one and two days to complete the whole project. But at the same time, I had um, three or four other projects sort of mini projects like that that I'd have to answer um, as well and meetings and emails and all these other things so it's really a bit of a juggling act but you've got to focus on each um, problem solve it and then present it back to your customer and make sure that they're happy with that solution make sure that you have understood and solved whatever they're looking to work towards um, and make sure that it fits for them so yeah it's quite a quite a large challenge but it's really fun yeah and I think that there seems to be something there that's really about problem solving but about um, using your research skills and your creativity Mm -hmm. in finding solutions to real world problems and I think you draw on all your past experience in order to do that problem solving Um, so in before I started the PhD I worked in manufacturing so um there are lots of things there that I learned in terms of tolerances, in terms of manufacturing processes. So when I work with someone who's using additive manufacturing, um, I can relate to um, certain areas there as well. And I bring that experience to help me to solve that. Um, So yeah, there's lots of different areas 
that kind of draw together, but the PhD um, brings a skill set of tackling a very large project um, and helping you to form it all together. One of the things people get, we get feedback that our researchers are quite nervous about is the application process for jobs outside of academia because the sort of the academic kind of job application promotions process feels very familiar when you're in that environment can you talk about your experience of applying for jobs in R&D and industry and specifically kind of how you talked about and framed your research experience um yes absolutely so um I was very lucky with the um jobs that I went to um most of them I had some connection to the company um throughout my working career I seem to have fallen into jobs rather than applied through the formal process so I would definitely say to any PhD students um create a network and uh, tell people that you're looking for a job um, because uh, the one that I got at Sub 10 Systems I found out through a guy that I used to go gliding with he'd started at this company and they were looking wow. for someone and I was able to apply and it a lot of things have kind of fallen into place through that network. I have done very few formal applications. Having said that, all my positions have involved some kind of interview. Um, so I can certainly comment on that. Um, I guess the key thing is to um, think about how you've applied your skills and any way that you can show that you can talk about how you've used that skill so it could be um, that you looked after a, a colleague's child say um, for a few hours and that was very challenging for you you can apply that situation and say this was a very stressful situation not something that I'm familiar with and this is how I managed it um, that might not be particularly relevant to uh, an industrial R&D engineering job, but they can see how when you went into a new situation, how you managed it. Um, and I think those, how you can form an example, if you can draw on your PhD, if you can draw on uh, your sort of formal experiences, that's great. But if there's an area where you think, oh, I don't know where to go with this, look at your, your life outside of work outside of academia and think are there examples that you can draw from there as well because that's um, a really key area that people sometimes sometimes miss. Um, I think the other thing about applications and interviews is it's almost always evidence-based so really try to give as many examples of how you fulfill the job um, job skills and competencies, um, which will be listed on the job description. Try and like focus on those specifically. Um, and then you, you've got a stronger application. Are there particular things that you did? So you, you talked about kind of the importance of forming those examples and those examples not having to be really specific to the role or the industry that you're working in. Are there things that you did throughout your PhD that weren't necessarily kind of just about the doing the research and writing the thesis that have been really useful to you as examples in job applications and interviews? 
Oh, that's a great question. So I, there are lots of things that I did during my PhD. Um, I travelled extensively as part of the PhD, which is something that I would definitely recommend to everybody. And actually that travel led to um, multiple collaborations um, uh, regarding my research. So that was extremely helpful. Um, in terms of outside of uh, the actual PhD and, and the research environment, um, I was also uh, a Brownie leader. So um, that's part of the girl guiding um, structure. And um, that was something that kept me really rooted during the PhD because I was working with um, girls aged seven to 10 um, and they can be so challenging. They can really come up with so many questions, things that you don't think about. A child's mind is a fascinating um, <laughs> array of um, ideas and uh, they're so inquisitive. So that was really amazing. And I, I'm quite lucky in that I was able to um, actually bring them into the physics building. And we did a whole evening in the physics building with a little tour and um, we did some bridge building and wow. um, and all sorts of things so that was that was really fantastic um I think I also did just after my PhD I did some volunteering um through girl guiding uh, so it was sustainable volunteering is what I called it call it I'm not a builder I, I don't have any skills in that area so I can't go and build houses for people or anything like that um but we we ran a program where we went out um, and asked the people what they were looking for. Um, and actually what they wanted was something much more simple or simple, something that I could deliver, um, which was how to build CVs, how to present yourself to different people. Um, and it was a very simplistic level, um, but that was something that we were, we were able to do. So um, that was fantastic. And as part of that, we also developed the Girl Guiding programme in the country with the leaders, very simple ideas that don't take lots of resources or money or time, but just ideas for things that they could do to, to get more people involved. Um, so that's something that I often talk about in interviews, because it's something that also changed me as a person to understand that I finished my PhD, but actually I have a lot of skills that are useful to other people um, and I can teach them in an informal way um, about the world around them and how it works. Um, and I never really appreciated that before I, I went away. So that was really great. That's really interesting. And how did you, how did you balance doing that kind of activity alongside doing your PhD? I was quite lucky. Um, we're part of a team. So um, when my workload, at, uh, when my academic workload was quite high, I was able to kind of step back um, from the uh, brownie preparation for the sessions. Um, but when I was a little bit quieter, I could jump in and do more. Um, and what I really tried to do was make sure that every Monday night when it was the meeting, I was always there. Um, and that was a kind of a, a non-negotiable aspect for me. That time was brownie time and that was it. Um, apart from obviously when I was traveling for conferences and, and other such things. Um, but I think that's all about teamwork. That's about communicating with the team that you have, um, understanding each other's pressures. 
Um, one of the other ladies that runs it is a school teacher. So there are key aspects during the year which are particularly busy for her. Um, another lady is a solicitor. Um, so she has big projects. So sometimes it coincides that we, we are all really busy, in which case we all do a little bit to contribute to what we need. Um, having said that, there's also a good aspect of just winging it, turning up and just having some fun and nothing too planned and just having a couple of things in your back pocket that you can just get on with. And I think that's, um, that's really fun as well. I wouldn't want to do it all the time, but that helps. And it is quite an important skill to have. Um, like you say, it's not something that we would necessarily want to make the way that we operate on a daily basis but quite often in in the working world and it, and in your PhD you do kind of have to just turn up and wing it. Absolutely um, so there's always that time when uh, you go to a conference and someone's talk doesn't load properly or it's corrupted or I went to a talk where um, all the graphs were in neon colours and you couldn't see any of the lines um, and so I give him his due, that guy stood there and for 20 minutes he talked about his research and we could not see a single thing on any of his slides. And I think that is a real skill. Um, I think there's a bit to be said for preparation in that situation. Maybe you can go in the night before or just a couple of hours before your talk and just check it over um, to make sure that it does work on the projector that you're going to use. However, it's if you really know your subject area, hopefully you'd be able to talk a little bit about your research um, without those slides, you know, just giving it a go talk. And actually, it was a really good talk because it got people asking questions. Um, and I think that's really key. I guess one of the big questions is what advice would you give to someone who's currently starting or, or doing or coming to the end of their research degree who is thinking about R&D roles in industry what advice would you give them about things they should be doing now about um, applying for applying for jobs is there any kind of key tips you would give them absolutely I'd say try and extend your network um, now you could do that by um, going out to conferences talking to people about your research but also um, talk to your family, your friends locally, um, because a lot of my business contacts have been made through unusual links. Um, so really use that network to understand what opportunities are out there, what kind of skills people are looking for right now, because it changes. Uh, it, it changes all the time. Um, we're seeing more of a focus towards automation. Um, more scripting is required. So things like Python are becoming um, more necessary in lots of job roles. Um, and I would say focus on that to kind of understand what areas you might want to go into and what kind of skills they're looking for. And then you can focus on sort of fulfilling those um, before you get there, but also using those contacts to understand actually is there an opportunity um, that I'd be perfect for? Um, and actually I can look to apply, um, 
you know, and say to them, look, it's conditional. I want to finish my PhD and then start or something like that. There are lots of opportunities out there um, and you just need to be a bit flexible in uh, looking for them, how you find them. Um, and I think people often overlook that, uh, thinking that they have to apply through a formal route. And there will be a formal route, but it's how you find those opportunities that I'm saying can be can be less orthodox. Yeah, I think I think that's really key. And it seems to have been a, a, a key theme in your career so far, actually, the importance of networking and making connections to actually um, creating those opportunities. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, before my PhD, um, most of my jobs were through word of mouth. Um, one of the jobs that I had was because I'd used a particular software for my dissertation and a company contacted the university and said, do you have any students who can use this software? Um, any graduates who might be looking for a job? So that was another way that I um, that I got uh, an opportunity there as well. Um, so there are lots of ways. And talk to your supervisor about what you're looking for. Maybe they have um, someone who's sponsoring PhDs in another area that maybe you're not aware of, and they're looking for people. Um, so that can be a huge help as well. Yeah, that's really brilliant. Um, is there anything that you wish that you had done whilst you were still a PhD student that you think would have benefited your career so far? I don't think there's any opportunities that I missed. I think probably I should have spent some time learning how to code properly. That would yeah. have been really useful um, in my career um, now. I've picked up bits along the way, um, but I have to say I'm not a superb um, coder. Um, I think that's a key area. But in terms of conferences, in terms of experience, I was always quite cheeky. So I'd always ask if I wanted to go to a conference, if I saw it was somewhere amazing, um, then I'd just ask and we'd see if there was budget and I'd make sure that I had something new to present um, when I went to my supervisor to say, I want to go to this conference. Um, and most of the time we made it happen. So, um, yeah, be cheeky, just go for it. Yeah, there's, it's the benefit of being proactive and also just accepting that you know if you ask they might say no they might say yes exactly my mum always used to say if you don't ask you don't get um, <laughs> and that I think is very true um, so I a couple of examples on that specifically um, before I started my PhD I did a placement uh, with Kinetic and there was um, a project that we were working on which was on uh, a warship that was in for refit and I, I've never been on, a, on a, a, an aircraft carrier um, and I thought I'd really like to go so I went over to the guy who was running the project and I said I'd really like to go and he said oh well I don't know and then I ended up being down there for two weeks and it was absolutely fantastic um, and in another example in my current job I um, was working on a project and one of the um, surgeons said to me, you should come down and, and see surgery. And I said, oh, OK. So I 
asked my boss and he said, well, yes, I guess so. And so I went down and I saw a knee replacement and a hip revision. And I've wow. never seen anything like that. It's, it's brutal and it's fascinating. And I had no idea how I was going to react, whether I was going to faint on the floor or be engrossed in it. Turns out that I didn't faint on the floor. Fantastic. Um, didn't embarrass myself in front of the surgeons, but it was just the most amazing experience. And I've got uh, so much more insight into how these surgeries are performed. So when I work with a surgeon now, I know that if you're talking about fractions of a millimeter, that's probably not um, going to be achievable in surgery because um, you, you just can't see down to that level of detail, but you can give them a guide. Um, and that, that really, that understanding of the situation, um, of the kind of equipment that you have to wear, of the, how hot it is in the room, um, you know, all these things really help you to, to speak to the customer and to, to be able to direct them to the best solution for their problem. What do you love most about your job? Oh, just working with loads of different people, all the different industries. So um, I've got a project at the moment um, where I'm working on trying to automate uh, a learning process to to find defects in additively manufactured parts. So that's one project. Um, we're also working on... Um, automated learning to uh, to build models of hearts and knees and hips for things like pacemaker design or stent placement. Um, so just working with that huge range of industries and everything in between um, just really allows me to keep my brain active and learning lots of new different things. But like I've said, applying those skills I've learned through the experience that I've had before to be able to come up with innovative solutions that don't only solve, you know, sort of minor problems, but they're, they're really addressing critical problems like decraft, uh, sorry, defects in aircraft ring, wings or, um, you know, my, my mum's knee replacement. She could have, now she could have a personalised knee replacement rather than one that was probably a bit too small or a bit too big, but she was somewhere in the middle. And I think helping to address those problems gives you a real warm glow feeling inside. Thank you so much to Celia for taking the time to talk to me and giving some really interesting insights on kind of R&D roles, but also the hidden job market. And that's it for this episode. Join us next time when we'll be talking to another researcher about their career beyond their research degree.